All right, well, let's pray. Father, tonight, I thank You um, that You're God. I thank You, Father, that we are utterly dependent upon You. Your Word says, blessed are the poor in spirit, meaning blessed are those who are absolutely, utterly dependent upon You. Lord, I thank You that ours is the kingdom of God. I thank You tonight that we can see beyond the natural, we can see beyond the news, we can see beyond the circumstance, we can see beyond all that's going on because You are our God. I thank You, Lord, that You you have us in the place You need us to be. Lord, I know this, that You put us in the world for such a time as this and that it's an honor to serve You in these times. Lord, help us to see what you see. Neglecting, neglecting our feelings, but seeing what you see, hearing what you say. Lord, we don't want to call on those things that we see in the natural, but we want to call on those things that we see yes. in the Spirit. And so, Father, tonight we thank you and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Happy New Year. Anybody glad it's not 2020 anymore? Well, wait a minute. It seems like it's the same or worse now, right? I, I don't know. Has it, has it even changed? Somebody said, I think I saw a political cartoon that said that uh, 2020 was, was keeping 2021 in the basement and he couldn't get out yet because he wasn't quite through. Somebody else said they saw 2021 saying to 2020, here, hold my beer because you're going to see something else. You know, who knows? Who knows what, what it has? You remember last year at this time? All the prophecies about 2020, I mean, there were all those words that were out there, and, and it was supposed to be the year of 2020 vision. Remember that? I mean, I remember those prophecies, those prophecies coming out, and it was going to be the year of clear vision, or the year of vision, and yet I wonder how many people saw the virus coming. I wonder how many of them saw the riots or the election fraud or, or all the things that have happened. How many saw those things? Um, I don't think many did. You know, I, I don't think we were looking. And I, I think the Lord was trying to speak to us about what was on the horizon. And he began to talk to us about some things. But, but you know, sometimes we filter things the way we want, it, want to see it. However... In 2020, some got a much clearer vision of the condition of the church. And I think that's what came into focus for many over the past year, the condition of the church. I'm not talking about a specific church. I'm talking about the condition of the church. We began to see clearly that the church is no longer a strong voice or an influence in our society. No longer. I mean, at one time in our, in our lifetimes, the pastor of the church had influence in the community that was a positive influence. The, the ministers had influence with people speaking the word. I mean, the church has been largely silent and ineffective for decades. For decades. She's avoided issues. She's avoided anything that makes people uncomfortable. And I'm not referring just to mainline denominations. I'm specifically talking about the charismatic churches. I'm talking about the Pentecostal churches who stood by for a long time saying nothing 
while the world is going a certain way. I mean, I'm referring a lot to a lot of modern megachurches. Don't want to get too mean tonight, but we've traded the power of the Holy Spirit and miracles for marketing and entertainment. I'm just telling you the truth, right? We've traded that. You know, churches have been built on marketing and entertainment. How do I know it's not built upon the power of the Holy Spirit? I, I, I don't know that we've seen many miracles lately, have we? I don't know that, that, that we've seen people coming forward weekly to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. I don't know that we've seen those things. And I don't want to say that all churches are bad that don't have that. But what I am saying is you, if you build a church by marketing and entertainment, you've got to keep it going the very same way. And so in the charismatic renewal, marketing was terrible because people spoke out loud in tongues in the middle of services. And sometimes it was interpreted. Sometimes it wasn't. Sometimes people got prophecies and sometimes they got slain in the spirit. Sometimes things happened and people flocked to come and see something real where the power of God was in manifestation. No marketing, no advertising, none of that. But the Holy Spirit was in charge of it. And so we've got to see something different. We've got, we seem to have a vision now that the church, not everybody has that vision. I'm going to tell you right that right now. But we've got to have a vision that God wants to do something else. The church, modern church, has created a grace that allows salvation apart from repentance. It allows holiness. I mean, it allows us to live in this Christian religion without holiness. No teaching of scriptural morality. And that everybody can have what they want to have. We just don't want to offend anyone. We have all kinds of megachurches all over this country, in every city. And yet biblical literacy and moral absolutes are a thing of the past. I mean, immorality is rampant, even in the church. And people can go to church... For years and never be changed, never need to change, never feel like they need to change. I mean, people, people are going and the churches get big and they get big, but the people are weak and ill-equipped for spiritual battle. Amen. This is good so far, right? The Bible says that there's a fight of faith. It doesn't say that there's... uh, uh, a waterbed of faith you can lay down in and just get relaxed and warm all over. It's a fight of faith. In the scripture, we can see in the book of Acts that it was a fight of faith. The world's system was opposed to the system of God. The Bible teaches us that being friends with the world is to be the enemy of God. The reality is is that the church has become so comfortable with the ways of the world that that the world has become comfortable with the ways of the church because they're the same thing. They operate the same. Churches operate as businesses, really as entertainment businesses. I don't know if you've ever been part of a, a fundraiser for a church to build a new building and they hire the marketing company to help them raise the money. It is sickening because it manipulates people into giving money the way the world would raise money for something. 
The church needs the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's what Charles Finney said. He said, if there's decay in our conscience, the pulpit is responsible for it. He said, if the public press lacks moral discernment, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the church is degenerate and worldly, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the world loses its interest in Christianity, the pulpit is responsible for it. If Satan rules in our halls of legislation, the pulpit is responsible for it. If our politics become so corrupt that the very foundations of our government are ready to fall away, the pulpit is responsible for it. Now that's not the Bible, but I'm telling you something. He was telling the truth. Because the pulpit has not stood for God. The pulpits of America have not stood on the foundation of Scripture and have not taught people how to fight a fight of faith, how to stand for God, how to be what God has called them to be. Pastors are more concerned with church growth than equipping the saints. What if I say something that offends this group of people? What if you don't and this whole other group of people never learn how to fight a fight of faith? Ladies and gentlemen, that's what's happening right now in our country. We have people filling churches who have no idea to stand in faith for what God has said. They're not doing anything. Pastors are more concerned with keeping their little kingdoms than with advancing the kingdom of God. We see right now that pastors and church leaders are afraid to speak the word in face of the contradictory woke culture of political correctness and the cancel culture of violence. They're not speaking up. Because they don't want to be controversial. They don't want to say something that might have a protest in front of their church. They don't want that. They don't want to make the news. <laughs> the truth needs to be preached. Pulpits are, are, are preaching the promises to entitled parishioners. But failing to tell them that there are conditions to every promise in the scripture. What do you think about that? The scripture says this. If my people that are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from the wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and forgive their sin and will heal their land. If is the first word of that verse. If. We're not entitled for God to heal our land. Uh, you deserve it. You deserve it. God, God is too nice. Yes, yes. We deserve hell and judgment, but we, we get the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. If, my people. How about this one? Jesus said this. If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. If thou canst believe. That's, that's, that's a pretty tall order sometimes. But it's a condition on that promise. And there's a popular song out that says, All things are possible because God is on my side. Not if you don't believe. God's on everybody's side. Well, not his enemies, but he's on the side of every Christian. But all things are possible to those who believe. Believe what? Believe what he said. Believe his word. Everything in the word is possible. But God isn't going to let us put our Bible under our posterity and let it osmos up into our lives till we get it all. 
we have to somehow spend time with His Word until we believe it. And when we believe it, it becomes possible. It seems like we've forgotten what the Bible teaches in church today about the sanctity of life. We've forgotten what the Bible says about marriage. We've forgotten what the Bible says about being friends with the world. I mean, we've forgotten all those things. Why are we so afraid to speak up? Because it's not popular. (laughs) And there are people who are fighting harder than the church to silence her. Because they're driven by demonic forces that are out there. And we've been taught, oh, and it's being said from the pulpits, well, we just need to be nice. After all, Jesus was the Lamb. He was the Lamb. He is the Lamb. He's also the Lion. He's the Lion of the tribe of Judah. The church has gone along to be nice for long enough. It's time for the church to rise up as the army of God and quit playing the religious game. Be straight up with all of those people who feel entitled. Be straight up with those who are coming to get their blessing. You can get a blessing, but I tell you, you're going to have to fight. There's a fight to fight. Here's what I think the verse for this year is. You ready? I've been trying not to listen to prophets over the last week or two because I want to hear what God, what I feel like God is speaking to me in my heart. I believe this is the verse. Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 3. Fear not, for I've redeemed thee. I've called thee by name. Thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee, for I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I believe it's the year of the lion. I believe it's not going to be a year where we get to sit back and just, oh, I just wanted to go back to the way it was. Why would you want that? The church was doing nothing, and now's the opportunity for the body of Christ to stand once and for all. I'm telling you, we are alive in one of the most exciting times ever to be a Christian because we have the opportunity to see God arise like we've never seen him before. A lying spirit has been released in the pulpits of America. A lying spirit. The lie is telling Christians that resistance isn't the thing to do. Just accept it. Just accept it. That's the way it is. Just accept it. Be nice. They're declaring that everything is okay and everything will work together for good. So just be sweet. Well, I realize those words are in part of a verse in the Scripture. But the verse doesn't say to do nothing. It talks previously about praying in the Spirit and hearing the voice of the Spirit. And then everything's going to work together for good to those that love God, to the call according to His purpose. In other words, there was a fight taking place in the Spirit to get to the point where everything's going to work out to be good. Man, see, the... the, the They're declaring that it'll just be okay. They're avoiding the reality of Scripture so as not to offend anybody. We don't want to offend anyone because if they'll just keep coming back, we can preach them the gospel. What we're preaching the gospel to, we're making weak Christians who don't know how to fight. How about this verse of Scripture? 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 3. For when they shall say peace and safety, 
Then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Listen, people are being lulled to sleep instead of being trained for war. Those who know our God and His Word will be trained to fight. I'm going to make a pretty bold statement here. Those who are ignorant of His Word are weaponless and will be part of a great slaughter. There'll be casualties in the fight of faith. They'll surrender to the enemy and to the culture because they don't know what to stand on. Okay, let's breathe for just a moment. That's pretty serious stuff. I actually tried to share that word, that right there, a year ago with a leader in a church and didn't get any reception whatsoever. Ultimately, they just fall away. They become casualties. Daniel 11.32 says, But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. These are people who know God. I mean, we got to know that God wants to do something. He doesn't want America to go down the drain. He doesn't want the church of America to be weak and ineffective. He doesn't want us to turn into some religious club where people just go and, and, and do their religious duty every week. God wants the church to mobilize and fight. Do you realize there's always been a remnant? When the church in Jerusalem became religious, the church in Antioch went into all the world. There's always a remnant, always a people of faith. God's always had them here. And we need to recognize that God wants right now in this country a group of Christians to rise up who won't cow down to the spirit of this world and the spirit of this age. I'll tell you, those who are responsible will be those who failed to equip the saints and they allowed the church to remain in its backslidden condition. And you know these verses, I'll just read them to you. Ezekiel 33, verse 2, says, Son of man, speak to the children of thy people and say to them, I will bring the sword upon the land, upon a land. When I bring the sword upon a land, if the people of the land take a man of their coast and set him for their watchman, if he seeth the sword come upon the land and he blow the trumpet and warn the people, then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet and taketh not warning, the sword, if the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. If he heard the sound of the trumpet, he took not the warning, his blood shall be upon him. But he that teach talketh warning, I'm sorry, he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. But if the watchman see the sword come and blow not the trumpet and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take away any person from among them and is taken away in his iniquity, it says, but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. So thou son of man, I've set a watchman unto the house of Israel. He could say to the house of God, therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and shall warn them from me. It's time for the people to get a warning. Here's what Jeremiah chapter 23 says. says, Woe be unto the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pastures, saith the Lord. Therefore thus saith the Lord God of Israel, against the pastors that feed my people, you have scattered my flock and driven them away. Have I not visited them? Behold, I will visit upon you the evil of your doings, saith the Lord. Pastors need to speak up. 
the pulpit needs to be bold and strong and talk and say what God has called them to say. All right, so here's the question. What do we do? What, what can we do? Here we go. Everything begins with the declaration of what God has said. A bold declaration. We must speak up in the spirit and in the natural. We must agree with God. What has God said? The place that begins is the Bible. What did God say? He said that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. We need to begin to to call out for righteousness in our nation. We need to begin to speak up in the spirit. I don't know if you realize this or not, but on July the 4th, 1776, our forefathers penned what was called the Declaration of Independence. They declared that day on July the 4th, 1776, they declared we are independent. That day they made the declaration. And you know what the British did? They said, uh-uh, no. And that's when the war started, was when they spoke up. <laughs> On October the 19th, 1781, we're talking about five years later, the Battle of Yorktown was fought. The Battle of Yorktown was the last battle in the American Revolution. From the day they declared independence to the day they fought the last battle, five years transpired. When we make the declaration, we need to understand the war is on. The fight has begun when we make the declaration truly believing it. Now let me ask you an important question. When were our forefathers free? The moment they believed it, they were free. The moment they decided they were free. John Hancock was, I mean, he said, give me the pen. And he wrote his name bigger than anyone else on the paper because he was free in his heart and he was not going to back down to British oppression. I would like for us to have some John Hancocks in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and make a declaration boldly and strongly. I mean, we're free when we do. And that's when the fight begins, but we fight not to get free. We fight because we are free. Because we've decided that God is right and God is true. And we're going to, we're going to do that. The fight begins when we decree a thing in the place of prayer. Yeah, but we, have we already done that? We had not worked so far. It's because we're in the fight. And it has worked. Because we're driving back darkness by what we, dec- what we decree in the place of prayer. Do we believe prayer even works? I think if we did, we might pray more often. What do you think? You know, it's like, it's time to pray. Oh my gosh, has it come down to that? No, no. That is the fight. Staying there. Staying bold in the Spirit. Staying true to what God has said. 
I mean, the Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 4.13. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. We speak because we believe. We stay with God's word and stay with God's word until faith is in our heart and we can't do anything but speak that. That's how you know what's going on. Listen, Christians, most Christians that I know have known in my whole life, most Christians say what they have rather than decreeing what God said. It's time. It's time, it's time, it's time for a new brand of believer to rise up and begin to declare the things of God. Oh man, isn't this good? <laughs> Instead of, man, that virus has really kicked our butt. No, it has not. It has no right. Yeah, but, but so-and-so got it. It has no right. Instead of calling what we see, let's call what God said. Job chapter 22 verse 28 says, Thou shalt also decree a thing, and it shall be established unto thee, and the light shall shine upon thy ways. Making the decree of what God said. Change takes place when we speak God's word, believing what we say. Isn't this great so far? Man, now I'm getting getting ready to rattle the cage a little more here in just a second. Here's what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. You know these verses. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Okay. Let me ask a question right quick. Now let me say this first. I believe in a literal seven-day creation. All right. I believe literally those seven days that are listed in Genesis chapter 1, God did all those in 24-hour days. Okay, now, let me read you what the Hebrew says, though. Here's what the Hebrew says. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth became waste and void. Did God create the earth? Did he, did he, when he created it, did he create it without form, and was it void? I'm just going to challenge you right quick. <laughs> Is that what he did? I'm going to read you another verse that will back up on I'm going to tell you. It says, the earth became waste and void. This little phrase, waste and void, is, is in the Hebrew is tohu va bohu. Okay, it means waste and void. The earth became, the word was means became. The word became waste and void. This is from the Companion Bible. E.W. Bullinger is, is the theologian that, that translated that. And darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved. The beginning of the heavens and the earth, which are now upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there become light, and there became light. Now, the word here tells us that that the earth became waste and was void. Something happened here. We'll talk about that more maybe later if I get that far. Here's what I want you to see. All of a sudden, there is, there is waste and void. And God said, light be. And light became. Here's what I want us to get right now. 
the word of God overcame the chaos. The word of God overcame the waste and the void. God, yeah, but that was God that said that. Can I just tell you something? If God's word is in your mouth and you say it, believing it, it's the same as if God said it. The the word of God spoken in faith overcame chaos and restored order. The word of God will still do the very same thing. It will still overcome the chaos and still restore the order. Our job is not to complain. Our job is to release the light. Taking the word of God and releasing it. Now, more than at any other time that I've ever been alive, there's the need for for God's people to speak God's word in the middle of the chaos and bring order. There's our answer. Light be. Isn't it interesting? Jesus said, you are the light of the world. <laughs> I mean, he's the light of the world, but then he called us the light of the world. The light has got to come from the church. I'm going to begin teaching on the end times. I'm not sure how far I'm going to get tonight. But the church doesn't even understand how much power it has. We have no concept that we are the only thing standing between this world and, and, and the manifestation of the Antichrist. The church is the only barrier. And we must stand now because it's not his time yet. We need to know we must release the light of his word. The light of the word must be spoken in contradiction to the darkness, no matter how silly it sounds. You know, you get sick and you begin to declare that you're healed. What are you doing? You're declaring the light in the darkness. Even though your body says, you're not healed, you're sick. You declare what God said as opposed to what you feel and what you see. You look at Washington, D.C. tonight, chaos. Chaos. I mean, the whole political world has gone upside down, attacking the man who stands for Israel, attacking the man who stands for the church, attacking you, attacking me, because we believe for Israel and we believe for the church. We don't lay down and take it. We contradict it with our words first. Listen, there's no nothing more powerful than the church when she agrees and speaks against the darkness and declares light be. His word in our mouth has the same creative power and authority as when he spoke it and said light be. But we've got to believe that. We have to believe it in our heart. I mean, we've got to stand on what God has said. Because the chaos is the, 
It's the weapon of the enemy to instill fear in the heart of every believer. And if we're afraid, we're in trouble. Now, I don't mean, you know, every now and then your knees do shake. I'm talking about receiving a spirit of fear that paralyzes us and makes us not do anything. And to say things like, well, it's too late now. I mean, after all, we lived through that, the Obama administration. Why don't we stop some things now in the spirit? Here's what Jeremiah, what the Lord told Jeremiah. It says, then the Lord put forth his hand, Jeremiah chapter 1, put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, behold, now listen, this is pretty, this is pretty interesting. I put my words in your mouth. Now what are those words going to do? See this day I've set thee over nations, over kingdoms. How did you do that? With the word that was in his mouth. The word in his mouth set him over nations and kingdoms to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, to build, and to plant. The word in Jeremiah's mouth. I don't know if you've ever read the book of Jeremiah, but Jeremiah did not live in a mansion. Jeremiah had some rough days. Isaiah, on the other hand, he was like friends with the king and, you know, good stuff. Jeremiah didn't have all that stuff going on for him because the word in his mouth was different and the word in his mouth set him over nations, over kingdoms, to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, to build, and to plant. Then it says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me and said, saying, Jeremiah, what seest thou? And he said, I see the rod of an almond tree. And the Lord said to me, Thou hast well seen, for I will hasten my word to perform it. Now why did he see the rod of an almond tree? Because the almond tree produced the first fruit. And he said his word was like that. That he hastens it. Of all the trees, it produced the first fruit of the springtime. The word in our mouth will do it. What word will he perform? The word he puts in our mouth. That's what he wants to do. Our job is to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, to build, and to plant. But we must speak what he says and not what we see. Listen, this is the hour the church must never, ever, ever give up. We must stay in the faith no matter what the falsified election results were. We've got to understand our authority and the authority of His Word when we speak it in faith. Listen, it's the year of the fight. It's the year of the lion. We're going to have to stand up we're going to have to not back down to anything, to anyone at any time. We've got to do what God has called us to do. Amen. Well, that was my introduction. <laughs> there, I, I think that, that, that we, 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 we underestimate our God. We underestimate who he is. Sadly, most Christians are ignorant. Why? Because they've, they've just never been taught. They've never been taught. They've been taught that a an experience is somehow God. They've been taught that a uh, a feeling is what we're after. We've got to know who God is. We've got to know, and we've got to 
arm these people with the word of God. Most Christians are just too consumed with life as they know it to examine what's going on around them. They don't even know. You know, most of your kids and my kids are like, why are you so caught up in this election thing? What? Why is that such a big deal to you? It'll all work out. That's what they thought in Germany back in the 1930s. we got to know some things. All right? I've read, read these verses in, in the other Bible study. But the Bible says this in, in Matthew chapter 16. It says, it says, the Pharisees and Sadducees came tempting, tempting Jesus, desired him that he would show them a sign. It says, and Jesus answered and said to them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. In the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O oh, ye hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. The signs of the times. There are occurrences in time that indicate where we are with God. There are occurrences in time. We need to be aware of what time it is. What time is it? I mean, I remember Chicago sang a song back in the 70s, and it said, does anybody really know what time it is? I think they didn't have a clue what time it was. <laughs> the Bible says this in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32. And the children of Issachar. Now, this is listing the tribes of Israel, and it's listing the weapons that they brought to the table for David. And the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Their weapon was they knew the signs of the times. They understood the time in which they lived. And that was a weapon that God would use. Understanding the times takes knowing the voice of the Spirit and the voice of the Word. So we're going to look over the next few weeks at the end times. But before you can understand the end, you've got to understand the beginning. What is this fight about? Why, why is it going on? Why, why, is, why is this is such a desperate thing? I mean, why are we in a fight of faith? Why is the devil so mad at mankind? What are we supposed to do? You see, we've got to know some things in order to accomplish God's plan in the earth. I thought tonight that I was going to start off by talking about the rapture of the church. But I felt like I couldn't do that yet. By the way, I believe in the rapture of the church. And I believe that it's before the tribulation. And I'm going to show you why before we get through with this study. But we're going to look at the rapture of the church. As Christians, we've got to know those things. We're not here to just take up space until Jesus comes back. I mean, there's more for us to do. I mean, that's what many people in the Christian religion would have you think, that you get saved and then you just hang out until Jesus comes back and takes us all to heaven. Either you die or the rapture comes and, and we're just here. In the, there's something to do. If we were just to get saved and then wait for Jesus to come back, aren't we wasting a lot of time here? There's got to be a reason that we're here in the in-between. Many Christians, and probably most Christians, miss the reason that they're here. We have a job to do. I mean, victory over the devil is accomplished on purpose by believers who will engage in the battle in the spirit realm. And that's what God intends for us to do. I mean, it's, it's, it's a violent thing. Faith is the most violent thing you can get your hands on because it changes things. It moves things. Yet most Christians are ignorant. They're ignorant about themselves. They're, sadly, they're ignorant about God. They're ignorant about the devil. They're ignorant about all these things that are going on. 
So we've got to fight. And if we're going to fight for our city, if we're going to fight for our nation, I mean, we've got to understand the devil isn't just some idea of evil. He's the real deal. And he really does hate God and hates us. And will do anything to stop the church. Anything to stop the church. There's an assault on the church in the United States today because the devil wants to assault the church. Because he knows that the church is stopping him from doing a lot of the things he wants to do. We have to understand that you and I, the scripture says that that we are spirit, soul, and body. We're not body, soul, and spirit. We're spirit, soul, and body. You and I are spirit beings. Now that verse of scripture is in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. But we are spirit beings that have a soul that lives in a body. If I am a spirit being, then I have the right to fight a fight on a spiritual plane. If I am only physical, then my only, the only fight I can fight is physically. But the scripture says we are spirit, soul, and body. We have the right and we have the responsibility to fight in the spirit. God's desire is the whole man. When Jesus came, he came and he brought deliverance, rescue, salvation to the whole man, spirit, soul, and body. When we're born again, our spirit man goes from death to life. Even lost people have a spirit. It's just dead. The word dead in the scripture means separated. The word life means connected. When we get born again, our, our spirit gets connected to God and our spirit man is alive. People who don't know him, their spirit man is dead and separated from God. Okay, So the, they don't even understand the things of the spirit because their spirit man is dead. All right, so we've got to understand who we are. I mean, there are all kinds of things in the Scripture that talk about spirit, soul, and body. God wants the whole man to be saved. Man has been trying to figure out how to do it apart from God. I mean, we, I don't want to talk bad about stuff. There's the study of psychology. Psychology is, is the diagnosis you know, of, 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 of the human category based on human behavior. And then after, after the diagnosis, then man is instructed how to cope with his problems. By the way, there's no ultimate healing. There's just coping. Here's the interesting statistic. Only 14% of people who get psychiatric help ever reach any form of victory. That's about the same percentage as those who don't get any help at all. Just throwing that out there. Pastors have decided that our job is to counsel people. And to use psychiatric techniques to help people. That is not the job of a pastor, by the way. Now, counseling is one thing, but to use psychiatric help. You know, one time this lady came to me and they were asking about this problem. And I told her what the Bible said. Went through it. She said, no, 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 no. I don't want what the Bible says. I need something real. <laughs> and I looked at her and I said, honey, you came to the wrong guy. I'm the pastor. I use the Bible. And that's what we talk about. So she went and got some real help from somebody else. You realize there's no spiritual precedent, no scriptural precedent, I'm sorry, telling pastors to counsel people. I can't find it in the scripture where they counsel people. Well, that's not true. Peter did counsel um, Sapphira. And he told her she ought to repent now or she was going to join her husband. And he was already dead. He counseled her. And she refused the counsel. 
<laughs> but there's, there's no real scriptural precedent for it. It's okay to get counseling. I'm not against it at all. Most pastors, though, could spend 80% of their time counseling. I mean, just, you know, I figured out a long time ago, I do my counseling, what I'm doing right now. This is how I counsel people. In groups, just tell them what the Bible says. In the scripture, we find that the role of the, of, of the ministry is to spend time in the ministry of the word and prayer. We find that ministers should lead and feed the flock of God. And I understand you have to feed them sometimes one-on-one through counseling. I'm not opposed to it. It just doesn't need to be 80% of our time. The real help comes from God. People need God. Need God to touch their bodies. Need God to touch their, their souls. Our, our soul, of course, is our mind, our will, and our emotions. We, we need God to touch the inner man. We need God... Our, our spirit man gets born again. And by the way, your spirit, I mean, is totally healed the moment you get saved. It'll never get more better. That's terrible grammar, I realize. Our spirit man, when we get born again, it is perfectly whole. Perfectly whole. Now, we're letting that spirit man get out into our soul and into our bodies. But that's what happens. Now, I don't want to give glory to the devil. I'm going to talk about the devil for just a minute here. We've got to understand some things about him. I don't know if I have time to do this or not. I'm going to start it anyway. The scripture says in 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He's real. He's looking for who he can devour. And we taught on that last year. The scripture says in Ephesians chapter 6, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So the enemy consists of the devil, Satan, Lucifer, we'll talk about that. He can, he, the enemy consists of fallen angels. The enemy consists of disembodied spirits, which are demons. They're all out there, and they're all real. And they all want you taken down. They all want the church taken down. So who's Satan? Well, he's got lots of names in the Bible. One of his names is Lucifer. Uh, in the Hebrew, it's Haleel. And it means to be bright or the morning star. The root of that word is halal, which means to shine, celebrate, make a show, boast, or to rave. We say hallelujah, which is halal, and yah, which means to celebrate God. But his name was to shine. His name is also called Satan which means the accuser, Beelzebub, the Lord of the Flies. That's who he really belongs. He's the Lord of the Flies. Belial, hopeless ruin is what that name means. He's called the adversary, the dragon, uh, which means keen sight. Listen, the devil is keenly aware of human response, and is, he's an expert at watching what people do and how they react. He's the serpent, which literally means venomous. Let's look at his original assignment here before I... Get, get, get more into it. Here's what the Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 12. It says, Son of man, take him a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest the sum of some full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. He was good looking. Thou hast been in the garden, in, in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, and the jasper, and the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and the gold. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day thou was created. In other words, he could sing like nobody's business. Thou art the anointed cherub that thou covereth. I've set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. Initially, he was an anointed cherub. 
He was an archangel initially. I mean, he was right there with Gabriel and Michael. He was an archangel, an anointed cherub. I mean, music was his thing. I mean, he understood music. He apparently was the worship leader in heaven. What a cool job that would be, right? The, he, was, he was, I mean, music. Do you wonder why music is the way into perverting a culture? He knows about music. He understands music. I mean, if, if, if we, and I've done this illustration many times, if we say Winston tastes good, you know what the next line is, right? Because you heard the song over and over as a child. And you meditated on it over and over as a child. We, I tell you, you can sing songs from the 60s, and you really have no idea what they were even saying until now when you begin to listen to the words, but you know it because music, the music got you. The rhythm was good. I mean, it was the music. The, the devil understands the weight of the soul is music. And so he perverts music anytime he can. He even perverts it in the church and takes that which should be spiritual, makes it that which is in the soul. And people never touch God. They touch their own soul, their own emotions, their own feelings. Because he understands it. He's an expert at it. And I've said this many times before. The reason it was so easy to fall down at Nebuchadnezzar's statue was because of the music that was playing. And people were like, oh man, this is awesome. Don't you just sense the presence? Yeah, there's a presence. But is it the right presence? Have you ever seen the concerts nowadays where they have their phones and they're doing this little deal? It's like this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Music. He understands music. Here's what we need to know, though. He is a fallen angel. He is not God. He's a fallen angel. He, ah, oh man, that's really good. And if I get that far, if I don't, we'll get it next week. We're going to see about that in Isaiah 14 and Revelation 12. We are dealing with a fallen angel, not an anointed cherub. He is fallen. We can deal with him as a fallen one. Ooh, man. He is now Satan and no longer Lucifer. He's fallen. He operates in limited power. He's been defeated by the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you tonight, the smallest child who speaks in faith can drive him out of the room in the name of Jesus. He is a fallen angel. He is in the earth, by the way. The devil does not live in hell. He doesn't want to go to hell. That's not what he's after. He's after the earth. There's the fight. He's after the earth. Okay? And so that's where, this is where the battle is. He's, he's called the prince of the power of the air. In other words, the atmosphere. He's called the god of this world. So he's not in hell. He's here in this world. And his goal is to take down the church. But I think I'm going to leave you with this thought. And then we'll get to the rest of this next week. Next time. It would be good if it was next week. Next time. He's a fallen angel. And you have authority over him tonight. The church in the United States has authority over him. And every evil spirit that's been released on this nation. We have authority. And we must stand and declare the word of God. Declare what God has said. 
we declare tonight that righteousness exalts this nation. Those of us who are members of the body of Christ, those of us who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, have been decreed righteous. And our righteousness that we receive by faith exalts this nation. And we choose to agree with what God has said, that we are the light of the world. We're the light of this nation. And we decree what God says, and that righteousness exalts this nation. We refuse to bow the knee to any God but our God. We refuse to bow to the spirit of this age. We refuse to bow to any of them because the only name that we bow to is the name of Jesus. His name is above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but in the one to come. But it's above every name in this age. And we choose to bow to Him. We make the decree that we will not fear. The Bible declares over and over, fear not. Fear not. The, the psalmist said, said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Thou art with me. Jesus said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. He's with us always. Our declaration tonight is we are the light of the world and the lion of the tribe of Judah walks with us, stands with us, goes with us, and we have the authority to tread on every work of Satan. And we choose to believe that nothing will harm us because we stand on the word of God. I would rather go to heaven standing for God than stay here and remain in the hell without without speaking and, and doing everything I can to make a change. We choose what God said. We choose his word. We choose the authority we have in Jesus' name. And we will not back down, back up, or, or sit down and stand out of the way. We choose what God has said. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Amen. Father, tonight I thank you. I thank you, God, that your word is true. I thank you, Lord, that those of us in this room know you. We know you. We know you in a personal way. You know us. And God, we believe it with everything in us that your word is true. And we stand for this nation. We declare, God, that this nation chose you from the beginning. Your word is, is intertwined in the fabric of all of our founding documents. And God, we choose not to forsake you. Our righteousness, the righteousness that we have from you, not even our own, but it's your righteousness in and through us. Your righteousness in us exalts this nation. And we choose you. Refuse anything that contradicts it. In Jesus' name, amen.